0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So, wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Uh, We are in an important series. I think God is doing some incredible things right now in our church. Uh, on both campuses, just forming us. Uh, and we, what we try to do every year, we take a little bit of a longer look at, at a deeper passage of scripture, and we just kind of embed ourselves into that. And this year, what we're doing is we're working our way through Paul's uh, letter to the churches in Colossae. So sometimes uh, when we get to a, a, a book in the in New Testament, we call, it a, a, we call it a book. Most of the, the books were letters. And so just to get everybody on the same page, if you're taking notes so we're all together as we're moving forward, uh, this is what I would say. The book of Colossians was actually a letter. Paul wrote it somewhere, scholars think, anywhere between AD 61 and AD 65. And uh, in fact, scholars believe that Paul may have in fact written 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. So that's almost half of the New Testament penned by the apostle Paul. There's some, there's some question about that, but many scholars line up that it might have been as many as 13 of the 27 books. Paul for a while was the chief antagonist of the Christian movement. And uh, this was more when he was remembered uh, as Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he was uh, one of the most hated men uh, in biblical times back in that era, Saul of Tarsus. One of the most feared men. Uh, he was kind of like the Osama bin, bin Laden of back then. And I mean that with all seriousness. I mean, he was not a good guy and uh, the chief antagonist of the Christian movement. And then he became the, the chief defender and chief supporter of the Christian movement. This is when he became Paul the Apostle. And uh, you can uh, all of this happened uh, as he had a tremendously powerful, life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Many of us are are navigating an encounter with Jesus Christ. Paul had a transforming experience that actually you could read about in Acts chapter 9. And so all of this is free material. I'm just giving this to you. It's added stuff. It's not even my message. You're getting it for free. Come on y'all, that was funny. And uh, so this is and, and so if you haven't ever read that story of testimony, write down Acts 9, later on, pour a good cup of coffee. read Acts chapter nine, you're going to learn some incredible things there. And so Paul is writing to accurately listen to this, accurately defend for the right understanding of who Jesus is to a church that is losing its way and losing its mind. This is what he's doing. So he's writing that they would come to a deeper understanding of who this Jesus is. And uh, this is kind of a powerful subject for us to consider. We're going to talk about this a little bit. So here's the tension. I want to point out to you the tension. I like to speak to the tensions, if you haven't figured this out. And uh, the tension lies in an observation, a promise, really, that Jesus made in the gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where he says this to the disciples, he said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here's what I want you to think about with me for a few moments. The church is God's idea. So what we're doing in some measure, okay, in this space, this is God's idea that we would do this. Now, Every idea that happens in the church is not God's idea. Right, right. Come on now. But church itself is God's idea. Now, but here's the, here's the tension. I want to speak to it. But as it is with many things, when men get involved, sometimes with God's ideas, it can so quickly become something it was never intended to be. Man, somebody else should say amen. All right. And so if I were to push this idea around and expose the tensions, here's how I would say it to you. Maybe you want to write this down. There's nothing quite like the church when the church works right. The church, when the church is working right, is this tremendous power, this tremendous force for good in the world. The church, when we understand the message of the church right, it, it sort of lifts the lid off the terrarium, and we begin to see, we can We can see the world for what it actually is. We can see our role in it. We can see the power and the potential of what we can become as followers of Jesus. There's really nothing so powerful as the church when the church is working right. And I'll be honest with you all. I've given my life to that vision, that idea. Now, but here's the other thing I want to tell you. There's nothing quite like the church when the church is working wrong. That's the tension. And I want to welcome it in the room. In fact, uh, this is what I wrote down in my notes. There's nothing quite like the church when it's broken, bloated, self-focused, and shallow. Nothing quite like it. So this is is the message uh, that we're looking at. And this this is the target that Paul is pushing at toward a church he didn't plant, but he'd heard about. That's what's going on. And whenever we look at a, a, a longer, deeper, or more uh, spacious passage of Scripture, we're forced to deal with subjects we wouldn't normally talk about because they're right there in the text. And if I don't do it, you're such an honest church, you tell me in the lobby afterwards, hey, you skipped that part. And so so I have to kind of go through with this. And uh, and I think that's really true. I mean, in fact, like last week, I thought it was funny. Last week, Trevor, if you were here, Pastor Trevor, preached on spiritual circumcision, Come on, y'all. And because I thought I'm the founder of this church, that's a great weekend for me to take off. And I thought, good luck with that, Trevor. Let me know how that goes. Tell me later. Okay. And so this morning or this afternoon now, Paul is going right at this idea of what the church actually should look like and what God's people should actually look like. And we're going to pick it up in Colossians 2, verse 16. I'm going to read down to chapter 3, verse 4. Now, the whole idea, really, if you're taking notes, and for the real scholarly among us, this idea really goes all the way down to verse 17, but I'm not going to read that far. I'm just going to read to verse 4. It gives us the biggest idea. Here's how Paul says it. He says, therefore, he writes, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. For these are, are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. For such a person uh, also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since then, and since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. For these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations... Indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any real value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, they don't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. You know, Lord, would you, would you just would you come into this space, into this room, into those streaming? And by the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, would you would you give us as a master painter a, a, a better vision? of what your church is and and, and our part within it uh, as we try to be involved in work toward a world that has lost its way and lost its mind. This we pray in the name of Christ. And everyone said, amen. So if you're taking notes, I would make a few quick observations here. Paul is talking about legalism. And and Paul is talking about what happens when church quits being an encounter with the living Christ and becomes uh, a recitation of a religious formula built upon rules and reactions to rules. And, and, it, and I don't even have to get that far into this to, for, for many of us in the room or streaming online to go, oh, oh, this has still got relevance for today. This is still something we should be thinking about. This is not old or out of date. Uh, and, and Paul is really pushing against a religious gymnastics that has no power. And when Paul is talking about what it means to be mature this is if you want an image this is kind of the image I would say to you paul is Paul is reminding us of this to be mature is to be complete to go all the way to completion it's like to be fully formed not not to somewhere along the way get desensitized to religious junk or or to or, or to somehow lose the heart to finish the course Paul is talking about. You know, building within your life a kind of life that allows you to become a fully formed, fully function, functioning, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's the vision. That's the picture. Uh, this past week, I was thinking, man, what can I do to help, help our church understand that idea? And I, I, I thought about this. Uh, many of y'all know that, you know, I, I, take, I, I try to take Friday off. I don't get every Friday off. But when I take Friday off, I try to work in the yard. I like yard work. anybody else like yard work? Am I the only one? I, I like to work in the yard, and I, I, just, I like to sweat, like to get dirty, and uh, I like that. And then I like uh, I, I work with wood a little bit, a little bit of a woodworker. Not great. Nobody's going to buy my furniture, but I like it, and 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 uh, it, it it gives me a chance to see something that's completed. I've said before, you guys are a lot of work, so I need to need to. Every now and again, look back and go, I finished that. And I've been building out Beth's closet. I think I had a picture of some wood when I was first starting. And uh, I-, I thought I would show you. This is what it looks like right now. It's almost done. It's not quite done, but it's almost done. Come on, here it is. There it is right there. I feel like your laughter is a little disrespectful. That's actually not what it looks like. Uh, Paul is talking about. We're moving on. Paul is talking about going on to completion. Isn't that a great phrase? Let's all finish. Isn't that great? And I thought about this because he really he really sparks up a conversation that we need to have whenever we talk about what it means to grow up in our faith. And I thought, you know what? Let's just have the conversation. Let's have the talk. Want to have the talk? And uh, this is what I would tell you to to set this up. Uh, If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. If you follow Jesus long enough, you serve him long enough, you love him long enough, and the Holy Spirit is going to invite you into a conversation about your behavior. All right? All right. He's going to invite you into a conversation about your behavior, about your conduct, about your language, about your thought life, about the condition of your heart toward people you would think of as those who live in the margins of life. God is going to invite you into a conversation around that stuff. And it's an important conversation. In other words, we come in in one demeanor. We come in with one mindset and here's what God wants to do. Paul says he wants to change your mind. He wants to give you a bigger picture of, of what it is to follow him in the world. And this is, this is a really important conversation. Uh, and, and we have to learn our way in this. I was thinking about this when I was growing up, I've always loved baseball. I've just always been a baseball fan. I wasn't a baseball fan Wednesday when the Braves got horribly defeated by, I don't even want to say the name Cardinals. Pray for your pastor. I'm almost over the anger about that. Uh, and But when I was growing up, let me tell you a little secret about me. I'm actually ambidextrous. Uh, I do things right-handed and left-handed. And when I was growing up, I was very confused by that. And my mom now tells me that when I was little and I would pick up my fork or my pencil with my left hand, I had an aunt that would take it out of my left hand and she would put it in my right hand until my mom told her to stop that. And so it kind of messed me up. And so when I was learning how to play baseball, I wanted to play baseball left-handed uh, because that's my dominant hand. But, um, but I, I, was, I was confused by it. And finally, my dad took me aside. And he said, you know what? He goes, I know you do this left-handed and I know you do that left-handed. But he goes, why don't you try batting right-handed? And when, when, he, when he moved me over to the right side, it just worked. It just worked. I remember later on when I was a little bit older, my dad took me out to the garage and he introduced me to the lawnmower. And he said, I, I want you, you two to become friends. <laughs> Some of you guys will remember this. And, and, and he showed me how to mow the yard. And, and uh, I remember starting the mower up and I just took off across the yard. And my dad had to go, time out, time out. You don't mow the yard that way. You, got, you mow the edges and then you kind of mow back and forth or this way so you don't leave all these gaps, Right? We have, we have to learn. We have to learn. This is kind of what Paul's talking about. I remember when I was older, when I first started to preach, and my, uh, my parents came to see me. I was in a church. My first church I ever served was this very liturgical church. I think I've shared before. I had to wear a robe, and I stood in this granite pulpit that was way towering above everybody else, and I would look down. And it was the, the impression when you came in and saw me was, this dude knows what he's talking about. Until I spoke for about Five minutes. And it was clear I did not know really what I was talking about. And my dad took me aside after the first time I preached here, and he said, "Hey, you you did a great job. Only you're doing this weird thing with your hand. Quit doing that." And I said, "Yes, sir." You know, we have to learn. And here's here's what Paul's saying: We have to learn. We have to learn how to follow Christ. We don't naturally know how to do it. We have to learn how to do it. And, and here's the idea that Paul, I think, is trying to get get across to us. He's trying to get across to us that this is really, really important stuff. We have to learn to experience what I call the unforced rhythms of grace. And if we don't learn how to do it right, it can go so horribly wrong for us and for those around us. So here's what I want you to know. There's a tremendous amount at stake in learning how to follow Christ in the right way, this is important. And it's po- one of the things that I love about our church because you know, the mission of our church is to interest disinterested people in Christ, grow them into fully devoted followers. We're, we're a church that sort of embraces the, the tension around that. But, but I do want to say this it's important that we learn how to do it because there's a lot at stake. And if we do it the wrong way, we get the wrong impression of our own heart. It, it bothers us, and it's, and it's horribly damaging to the people around us, right? In fact, I remember years ago, uh, uh, I'm going to show you a picture. Uh, many of us are going to recognize or remember this picture. This is sort of a subtle undertone, a subtle reminder of what it's like to not do it right, the right way. How many of you all remember her? <laughs> do, do you remember her, Saturday Night Live? Come on, who is that? It's the church lady. Remember how every time somebody would say something to the church lady, she'd just go, well, isn't that what? Special. And it was just this weird, weird thing, right? I I was thinking about this because Dallas Willard, my favorite, one of my favorite authors, in a book called Spirit of the Disciplines, listen to what he says. He says, how many people, I wonder, how many people are radically and permanently repelled from Christianity by Christians, quote, unquote, who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied. Yet, he writes, these Christians are everywhere. And what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality with the freedom that comes from God's loving rule spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is the major source of human misery and rebellion against God. I almost want to just sit in that tension for a moment. A lot of us know what this feels like. And, And I don't know about you, I'm taken by this phrase. What these people are missing is the wholesome liveliness. Isn't that great? The wholesome liveliness that springs from a balanced Spiritual vitality with the freedom that comes from God's loving rule. As one Christian author says it this way, we don't break the laws of God. If we're doing it right, we're broken by the laws of God. I don't know about you, but I want want a faith like that. I, I think this is the kind of faith that Micah was getting at when he wrote many years ago. He said this, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. What does that look like for us to do that in in today's times? I mean, here's what I want to suggest to you. This is the path we're all to take. And and, and if we don't understand this path right, here's what happens. We kind of get messed up in our own mind and heart And then we go right out into our community and we mess up other people. This is really important stuff. So notice the tensions I want to speak to. Follow Jesus long enough, he's going to invite you by the power of his spirit into a conversation about your conduct, about your behavior, about your thought life, about your language, about how you uh, live and love people who live in the margins of life. But if you don't do it the right way, you're going to mess yourself up. You're going to mess other people up in the process. This is really important. This is what it means to go on to completion. I was thinking about this, and I I thought to myself, really, the word that we're really talking about here, the word that we're referring to is, is actually the word. It's a churchy word, but I want to familiarize you with it. It's the word holiness. What does it mean? For you and I to live lives that are holy, honorable to God. I, I want to say before I tell you what really what I think it is, and point you in the right way. I, I thought uh, before I do that, I, I want to speak a word of grace for all of the beginners in the room, or or the beginners who are streaming online. Um, I, I think we need to do that, and this is one of the things I love about our church um, because we're we're kind of a church that allows people to get their footing does that make sense i was saying that in the other services where you know when when people are getting their footing around faith it's kind of clunky right we're kind of clunky we mess it up a little bit and I, i said we ought to get shirts that said come to community of hope we're clunky and i i think you know we're not perfect but we do it better than a lot of churches i've been a part of i like to say and I was, think, I was thinking about this, because I had a friend, maybe maybe this fits you, this, uh, this is the word of grace for, I think we need a word of grace for those of us who are starting out. And I had a friend of mine that when I was a little ahead of him, and, and then he came to faith in Christ, and he had he had lived, as it were, uh, a few you know, years in the Netherlands, if you know what I mean, the, the, and, and he had come to faith in Christ. And, 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 and then he started, you know, attending church and he started kind of growing his faith. And every now and again, he would say something he shouldn't say. And when he would say something he shouldn't say, he would do this weird, like he would catch himself. And you, maybe you know somebody like that. It's just like this moment of reality and he would catch himself. And then when he would catch himself, sometimes he would say it again because he caught himself saying what he shouldn't say. So he was going around doing this a lot until some of us kind of came to him and said, you got to just stop that. I mean, you're in process, we're going to give you grace, it's, it's clunky. I remember years ago, reading a book, I commend to every one of you, uh, it's called Loving God by Charles Colson. Charles Colson was not a nice man. Want to show you his picture? There's a picture. He was actually uh, served in the Nixon administration, and he was referred to in the Nixon administration as Nixon's h- henchman. And uh he was largely responsible for a lot that had to do with Watergate. Remember Watergate in your American history? And uh so he got caught and he got sent to prison. And while he was in prison, he became a follower of Jesus. And Chuck Colson, after he became a follower of Jesus, after a little while, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship International that went into prisons all around the world. And he was just he he passed away a few years ago, one of the most one of the most translucent followers of Jesus you'd ever meet. But, but, but when he was first becoming a follower of Jesus, he was clunky. And I'll never forget, somebody filmed a video of him sharing his testimony. They, they probably shouldn't have filmed it. And so he was giving his testimony. He had just recently got out of prison, just given his life to Christ. There's some stuff happening in his life where he's moving toward Jesus. He didn't know how to handle it, so he's giving his testimony. Jesus had made him a new person. And he's on this video sharing his testimony, and he's got a cigarette in one hand. He's got a gin and tonic in the other hand, and he's using language you shouldn't use when you're giving your testimony. And everybody listening to the testimony, they're doing that weird thing, you know? And it just reminded me of how it's sort of clunky. And, and here's what I want to say for those of us who are a little more seasoned vets. Shouldn't, shouldn't we slow down for those who are trying to find their, their way while they're onboarding? Can we just let them onboard someone? Say, man, they're just onboarding, right? But we don't want to stay there. That's right. We don't want to stay there. And when I started thinking about what holiness looks like today, this is what I thought of. I, I thought of one, one definition of, of, of holiness uh, is 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 holiness uh in what i call holiness in a hazmat suit and i want to you know what a hazmat suit is i want to show you a picture of it there's there's a picture of it and sometimes um people who become followers of jesus uh the more you become a follower of jesus the more you separate out from the world and 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 i read a statistic recently that was very sobering it said this most Most westernized followers of Jesus, inside of two years of saying yes to Christ, you don't have any more unchurched pre-Christian friends any longer. You only hang around church people. And that should break our heart. And that's that's not the goal, everybody. Come on now, wake up. I got five minutes, I'm going to use every bit of it, okay? (laughs) And sometimes when you think about holiness, that's what holiness is. It becomes separatist. It becomes exclusionary. It becomes, we're, we're over here. We don't, we don't uh, you know, we don't talk. Let me see. I want to make sure I get this right because I thought it was really funny when I wrote it down in my notes. Um, I don't cuss and I don't chew and I don't run with the girls who do. And, and, and here's the thing. That's, that's not the mission of the church. It's not. It's, it's using the church for something other than what it is. So true story. I went in this week. My wife and I went into Costco. She goes into Costco. Anybody knows Costco? She, she went in there so often, I thought, is there somebody in there I need to know? And so I went over there with her to Costco. And when I go to Costco, I like to go into that cold storage room in the back. You know where that is? Like we don't oftentimes buy stuff out of there. I just like to go in there. And 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 we walk into Costco, y'all. And you we were I'm walking by, and there's this row of 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 massage chairs in Costco right now. And there's this dude that's sitting on this massage chair, and he's taking his shoes off, and he's just like, and I walk by, I walk by him, and our eyes met, and he does this to me. He goes, and I was like, okay, and I I did that back. And we went to the coal storage section, and we got, you know, some Brussels sprouts, I think. And we come, we come back out of there, and he's still there. And he looks at me, and he goes, "I mean, this has like been ten minutes." I, we come by, we go get something else, and we come by. We're now going to go leave. He's still in this chair. And, and then we go pay out and literally, I'm not even making this up. We're going out of Costco and this guy walks by me while we're holding our ticket out and he looks at the person who, who, who is, you know, has the ticket and he goes, Hey, thanks a lot. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon. And I thought, this dude thinks the Costco is like where he gets his weekly massage. And I wanted to go, this is not what you come to Costco for. And, and when we have holiness in a hazmat suit, it makes this a club. This is not a club. And that's one definition of holiness. You can go into a lot of churches. Feels a little separate. We don't cuss and chew and run with the girls who do. And you talk to some Christians sometimes. I mean, isn't that a sobering statistic? Less than two years, you don't know any, you don't know any unchurched folks anymore. Now, there's another definition of holiness, which I think. And it's this. Maybe you want to write it down. I think holiness is the bleach that cleans stuff up. And that view of holiness is a kind of holiness that is willing to go into places that are dirty and shine a light in the darkness. So moment of honesty. Moment of honesty. Not not asking for sympathy. This is not sympathy, just a moment of candor by your lead pastor. So the last 2 years for me. Hardest season of ministry I may have experienced other than when we first planted church. Part of a denomination that's fallen apart over an argument that I don't want to have. Uh, West campus development's going slow because town council is just not supportive. East campus going well, but it's a lot of work. And I've spent the last two years, you know, um, talking about budgets and this and that, and and to be candid, I've really felt less like a pastor and more like a CEO. And here's what I want to tell everybody. I don't want, I don't really want to be a CEO. I mean, that's just not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I've just been exhausted with this. And so I've been praying about it, and I felt like the Lord really gave me a word. And I feel like the Lord said this to me: "He said, you know, the problem. I think part of the problem is that you are carrying stuff your church has to carry too." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt like the Lord has been saying to me, you know, Dale, um, this is a word Paul's offering about how 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 followers of Christ grow up. But there's a word in here for how churches grow up. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a word for us. And over the last year, you know, I've just been burdened sometimes if I could be really candid. Is it okay? Be really candid. Sometimes I've gone, you know, who's going to show up? Who's not? Who's going to serve? Who's not? Who's going to say they're going to serve, but they don't show up to serve when they said they're going to serve? Who's going to give? How are we going to do all this? Up, 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 up. It's exhausting. And it's been it's been corrosive in some ways to my spirit. Because I want to tell you when I said yes to ministry years ago, you know what I said yes to? A kind of holiness that would challenge me to go into dirty places and make them clean. And I told the Lord earlier this week, I said, I felt a real impression to share this. And and I felt I, I have to be honest with you, I was I was a little afraid. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I don't it feels weird and awkward. Jesus, I don't know that I want to share that. And he said, Nah, you should share it because there watch this. Most of the people in your church will get it. Yeah. I didn't have the impression like everybody'd get it. Most of us would get it. <laughs> I want to remind us that our calling is to be involved in shining a light in dark places, being a city set on a hill, not hiding a light under a bushel, not even shining light anymore because you're just worried about budgets and staffing and this and that. And God said, if you'll just tell people that, there'll there'll be others who want to do it with you. So I'm just asking maybe today. Want to be part of that? Want to be part of that? Uh, It's it's messy. It's clunky. Going to get dirty every now and again. But it's such a worthy calling of our lives. God's calling us to it. Would you just help us, Lord? Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Where we've not been about your work, where we try to make it something else. Forgive us, Lord, when our, our fears overtake us. and uh, Lord, we become something else. Give us a vision of how to be a holy people unleashed on a world that's lost its way and losing its mind. This we pray in Jesus' name. God, I can only imagine in my mind really uh, what a prayer like that must sound to you when a group of people here or online are praying that and they're praying that from the bottom of their heart god would you stir a passion in us would you remind us of what the right thing is and would you give us the passion and the courage to go right at it so that god our faith may move and breathe and live within us that it might become o oh god You know, a living fire unleashed upon the world. So God, give us that passion so that we may reach the world that has lost its way. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to remind you, we have our team here. Love to pray for you. If you need personal prayer, go in His grace, His goodness. See you next weekend.